invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. It's also in your service sheets here. Psalm 139. We're, we're going through our, our little series on uh, the essentials of the, the Christian faith. Last week we looked at uh, the, the fact that God has spoken and the implications of that for us. Uh, tonight we're looking at uh, the fact that, that God made you uh, in me and, and the implications of that. And we're, we're using um, the Psalm of David as our guide for this. And there, I'll refer to a couple other passages uh, as well a bit later on. This is God's word from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my living and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them how precious to me are your thoughts O god how vast is the sum of them if i would count them they are more than the sand i awake and i am still with you oh that you would slay the wicked O god O men of blood depart from me they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I, hate, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Where did we come from? It's a, it's a question that, that is actually central to our humanity. Every single one of us has to answer that on some level. And the entire point of the question is that, that where we came from, how we, how we got here, actually has a direct impact on the reason why we're here, our purpose for existing and David captures that really in, in this psalm, doesn't he? It's actually an epic psalm where he, he recounts the, the Lord's creating work while also laying out how, how he can't escape this God who made him and the purpose for which he was created. Now the problem that most people have when, when dealing with this question of where we, where we came from is that they don't really have a very good answer to it, do they? The secularist would, would almost unanimously believe in evolution, that we all got here by, by essentially sheer luck, 
And if that's true, then what's what's the point of life? And the only the only answer to that really is that there isn't one, if we're honest. It's simply that what, what we want to make of it. Uh, we may consider uh, uh, as a society that we, we have some shared values, but where do those values come from? We, we don't know. They're made up essentially on the spot. And inevitably this ends in a, a focus on, on what makes us feel good. So if making lots of money feels good, then that's what we pursue. If, if helping the poor feels good, it makes us feel like we have a purpose, then, then that's what we pursue. But there's no purpose or meaning to any of it. And that's the problem, isn't it? We're just getting on with life. And because of this problem, where we have the, there's, there's been uh, a growing number of folks in our, our world who, who adopt this sort of intelligent design approach. And the intelligent design approach sort of says, uh, there's clearly intelligence and purpose to our world. There's a maker. There's someone who, who made us. And that gives us some, some purpose to our lives. You can see all around us the, the mark of God having planned things out and put them together. And that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? We can affirm certain things with that position. But the question is, what is the purpose for which he made us? And that depends on the God, doesn't it? If he's a, a distant and far off God who, who created and then kind of left everything alone, then, then we still can't find much meaning or purpose in that, can we? We can be sure he has his reasons, but, but we certainly can't know these reasons unless God has spoken. So what are we to do? Well, we said last week that, that God has spoken. That's, that's the good news. We, we believe in a God who has spoken, and he's spoken through his word. And therefore, we can know the purpose behind all of this. So let me first say, and, and this is a, a slight critique, that, that in the church Broadly speaking, we tend to be uh, functionally intelligent design people. We talk about creation, but, but then we often kind of lift ourselves out of this. As though it was a, a process God kicked off and then, and then sort of left it to run its course. That's often how we think about it, isn't it? That, that God sort of uh, set it up and, and, and has let it go. And, and he might, you know, work in it from time to time. He might take an interest in us when we, when we start to follow him and trust in him. But up until that point, it's just sort of an impersonal everybody doing what they want to do. But tonight I want to reorient us to our, our place in this world and how God works in it. Because what David indicates in Psalm 139 and, and what, what we hear from Jesus and the apostles and, and uh, is it, not that, that God made the first humans and, and sort of just left everything else up to chance. But actually what we, what we hear from David is actually that he says that, that God made you. And you see, when, when Christians say God made you, we intend for you to take that personally because God certainly took that personally. And that's what David tells us, isn't it? There are a few things I'd, I'd like us to see in Psalm 139 and then we'll, we'll look at a couple of other uh, short passages just one thing to say before we, we get started, I'm not, I'm not preaching this exegetically. We're, we're going through sort of topically, so I'm, I'm pulling some things out of the passage. Uh, we're not going to cover everything, but I'm also not trying to avoid anything. So if, if this, this passage creates questions for you, please come and ask me later. I'd, I'd be happy to engage with you on that. Uh, but the first thing that we see, and, and really the biggest point tonight, is that there's an intimacy to God's creative work. 
as we said, it, it isn't a general creation, but it's, it's individualized. God made you to know him and to be known by him. Look at verses 13 through 16 again. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see, David's reflecting on, on his relationship to God, and he recognizes that God <clears throat> excuse me, has known him from before his birth. And in many ways, the, the language of these verses harkens back to, to Genesis and to the creation of, uh, of Adam and Eve. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. He, he breathed life into him. And Eve was formed from, from a rib from Adam's side. And both were these, these incredibly intimate acts of, of creation, of, of being made by God. And of bringing life to, to a place where there once was not life. And here we see that, that creative act continuing in the quote-unquote natural process of David's birth. And what David says here is that the, the seemingly natural process was, not, was so much more than that. It was so much more than a natural process because God is involved in all of it. The process goes back to even before David was in the womb. Verse 16 says that God had planned David's life out for him from before he was even conceived by his parents. And I want to argue that, that David wasn't, wasn't particularly special. In some ways he was, but, but not, not so special that, that this was something that, that God did just for David. See, what I want to argue is that every single one of us here knows deep down that what David says is, is actually true of all of us. Even the deepest skeptic can, can read these words and, and, and probably end up uttering the immortal words of Han Solo. It's true. All of it. And here's why I say that, because it takes an incredibly depraved cynic not to recognize the beauty of the birth of a child. It's one of those, those, those amazing moments where it seems like the, the world stops spinning and all that's left is the, the beauty of, of this, this new life. And some of us, some of us have, have experienced that. But even if you haven't had a child yourself, you can still recognize the, the gravity of the moment. I remember the birth of each of my child very, children very keenly. Uh, and I'll freely admit that I, I wept with joy. Not just because I'm American. It's because I was, I was really overcome by the miracle of, of these little lives. I think we need to, to be careful about how we, we think about this and how we talk about it with, with people, uh, particularly outside the church. Like when I, I just said my, my children were a miracle. Some of you uh, and your, your well-thought-out well theological minds probably started going, well, not precisely a miracle, because a miracle is actually God intervening in our world in a supernatural way. And I would affirm the proper definition of a miracle. So let's just get that out there. No need to call uh, uh, Richard, our, our lone elder, and tell him I'm preaching heresy. I, I, I affirm the proper definition of a miracle. But when someone like a neighbor says, the birth of my, my child or grandchild was a miracle, we all actually can say to that, yes. Because that child was made by God 
Because that's what David actually says here in God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing we ought to remember, that you were a baby once. That you were the the child in a womb who then became the baby who was born to, to someone. And when you were, that person said of you that you were a miracle. That you were a gift from God. And David tells us that that was probably the most honest moment of your whole life. Because you weren't cynical enough yet to, to think it was all just the natural workings of, of cells being, being split millions of times and, and doing whatever it was the DNA told them to do. You were actually a gift from God once. And I think this is where we feel the profound brokenness of our world. Because most of us don't feel like a gift from God, do we? Outside of those awe-inspiring moments like the birth of a child where we we can't help but see God in it. It's hard in the the mundane brokenness of our world to really feel and believe what David says about himself and by extension about humanity, about each one of us. When faced with the the scale of human depravity in our world, it's it's much easier to grow cynical and to, to, to turn from believing good things about God and about ourselves. And David actually acknowledges this, doesn't he? in a way, in verses 19 through 22. Look again at what David says here in 19 through 22. These are, these are kind of sh- surprising verses to appear in a, in a psalm that up to, to verse through verse 18 was this sort of psalm of, of the glory and, and beauty and intimacy of God at work in our world. What's he say? He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. It's odd, isn't it? It, Amidst the the beauty of this psalm, to have these these verses uh, uh, suddenly appear, calling on God to, to destroy his enemies, to destroy the wicked. These people that, that David very clearly uh, says he, he hates, he loathes. He wants God to take action against them. And we don't have time for, for a full explanation uh, of this. And, and we'll, we'll talk far more about human depravity next week. So you can look forward to that and come back for that one. But what I want us to see is that this psalm actually does a, a far better job of making sense of our world than blind optimism or crass cynicism because it points to, to both beauty and depravity. In verses 19 through 22, David's actually acknowledging the brokenness of our world and that there's, there's those who, who refuse to accept the truth of God and they deserve to be under God's wrath. And he's saying it's an absolutely terrible thing not to see our place in the world in light of God's making us and in light of our relationship to him. It's actually a very stark condemnation of our culture, isn't it? written a very, very long time ago. Because our culture, like the the people David's writing about, choose to attack the truth of of where we come from. They attempt to to strip us of our our identity as people who have have been made by God for his purpose. And that's a sad irony, isn't it? We have a culture that says, be your authentic self. Be whoever you want to be. It's completely up to you. It's a culture that that suggests it's it's offering you freedom 
when actually it's, it's poisoning us. And it's poisoning us to our true identity as people made by God with his purpose, with his dignity. And David says it's a, it's a terrible thing and he actively prays for their downfall in this psalm. Now in light of all of this, what, what can we say about this psalm and about, about the gospel? The, the gospel calls us to, to actually turn from the lies of the enemies of God and come to the truth of who God is and who he made us to be and who he calls us to be in, in, in light of what he tells us here in his word. And, and the truth is that God made you and he knows you intimately. You see it in the way David describes his own conception and birth. And you see it in the, the opening verses that God searches us and he, he knows us. God made you to know him and to be known by him. And that's the, the heart of the message of creation. That God made us for himself. And the beauty of the gospel is that we're, we're able to know him because he's made himself known to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about this, this psalm is that it's written by King David. David was, was divinely chosen by God to be king over God's people, Israel. And God, God made a promise, a covenant with David that, that the Messiah would come from David's kingly line, that, that there would be a king who would rule forever from the line of David. And hundreds of years later, that promise was kept when God knitted together his son in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus tells us, if you want to know God the Father, then you must know him. Because as Christ says in, in Matthew, all things have been, been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you were made to know God and to be known by him. And it's Christ who restores us to that. But we have to put our trust in him. And there's actually more good news to, to come from, from the fact that God made us. Not only, not only does that give us intimacy with him, but actually gives us purpose. We said earlier that, that if you're, you're not created, if you're only the result of some natural process played out uh, in your mother's womb or, or uh, just out in the world, if you're, you're only the result of, of some natural process, if you cannot know your creator, then we're really left wandering this world looking for a reason to exist, aren't we? The scripture says that you, you have been made by God. He's made you with, with purpose. David uh, David had a purpose to his life, and that was that was to be king. And he did lots of, of other things too, like writing psalms that tell us of the, the wonder of, of our great God. And you too have been made with a purpose. But the natural question is, what what is my purpose? We may not, uh, well, well, I may not be able to give you a very specific or personal answer to that tonight. You're probably not meant to be king like David, but you never know. Uh, but I hope that you'll, you'll get somewhat of a satisfying answer to that. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's your purpose? It's, it's to do the good works of God, works that he's prepared for you to do. We, we heard that even back in Psalm 139, didn't we? David talked about how, how God... Uh, had written out his days 
before even even before a single one of them existed. And I don't have a lot of time to go into too deeply into to, to details of of what is specifically this means for you. So let me just give you one big point. The work that God wants you to do are His, and they require the Spirit of Christ working in you by faith. And that doesn't sound very helpful. And that still sounds pretty vague, but but here's how this kind of works itself out. Um, when it, I'm, I'm, I quite enjoy politics, and I, I enjoy reading the papers and, and keeping up with what's going on in Westminster. And what I see in, in most politicians is this, this desire to to do big things. You know, right now everybody wants to be the next prime minister, even though we still have one. But everyone wants to be, you know, a Winston Churchill, or they want to be the whatever the anti-Winston Churchill would be, or, or you know, they want to be this great person who who leaves their mark and maybe gets a statue. And when we put our faith in Christ and we, we allow ourselves to become by, by grace what, what we were created to be, then what we find is we don't actually have to do great things. We only have to do the next good thing. The good news is that, that God is the one who's, who's prepared those things for us to do. Because he's, he's made us with purpose. We often spend so much time as believers trying to figure out uh, what God wants us to do that we, we end up frozen and we, we miss the, the little things every single day. The little opportunities that he gives us every single day to do the next good thing. And we completely miss the fact that if we're, we're trusting in Christ, and if we know his word, if we're, we're part of his community, the church, then, then we, can, be pretty, we can, can pretty confidently do something. And we can do something good. Notice it's, it's, it's good, not easy. Or satisfying. God made you with a purpose, and that's to do good works for His glory. Now, the last and very brief thing we should we should understand about God's work of creation is that that He He made you for intimacy, He made you for purpose, and lastly, He's He's remaking you for glory. And we talked about that a little bit this morning, actually, in in our our last two um, uh, blessings that that. Uh, he's preparing a kingdom for us. See, the promise of the gospel and creation is is the promise of a, a return to what we were meant to be. To know God fully and to be fully known by Him. It's the, the promise of a, a return to our, our creative purpose, to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him always. And we'll talk about the, the end of uh, what, what that looks like in a few weeks' time uh, when we get to the end of our series but here's a, a short preview. There's a, there's a day coming. And we can all pray that it comes very, very soon. When the reign of Christ will fill the whole earth. When all the, the brokenness that we, we see and, and experience every day will be undone and heaven and earth will be what they were meant to be. And the book of Revelation gives us a, a picture of what that will look like. And here's a small piece of the picture from Revelation 21 verse 5. It says this, and and he who was seated on the throne, Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I think it's important that we notice that, that he's making all things new. He's not making all new things. Because you were t- created to, to take a glorious place in eternity. And the calling of the gospel is, is a calling to, to take your rightful place in that. 
the place that God made for you, the place where, where you know him and you're known by him, the place where you're, you fulfill your purpose to, to glorify him and to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And you can take your place in that by, by turning from, from your sin and cynicism and placing your faith in Christ Jesus who came to make you new. Let us pray.